Hi, my name is Nancy Ademego. Welcome to Budget Podcast. Good to have you. Today we'll be discussing SOEs, uh, the fiscal transparency, you know, how far we have come and where we can be. And joining me is a senior research and policy analyst at Budget, Bayala Kwaga and Akinyemi Ubunsoya. Akinyemi is a research analyst at a social research consultancy based here in Lagos. Hi, Akin. Hi, Bayala. Hi, Nancy. So good to have hello, Nancy. Yeah, hello to you too. Uh, let me just put it out here that this is not the first time SOE is being discussed on this particular platform. Uh, so yes. before we get right into it, let me just have Bayala just give us a run, a recap uh, on the purpose of fiscal transparency, you know, as part of broader open government reforms. Bayala, just help us with a brief recap. Okay. Thanks, Nancy, and welcome, Akin. So fiscal transparency is a, an approach towards government and governance more broadly that takes as a core tenet of that government that openness, that transparency in information, in decision-making and in projections is a, is a necessary part of good government. Now, this is not a trivial matter because governments exist, or governments as we know them, democratic governments as we know them, exist uh, as, a, as a form of social management. Human beings decided that they needed a state to manage resources, to provide security, to ensure that businesses can transact you know, predictably and reliably. So the state has an implicit, the state implicitly owes citizens the highest standards of transparency. Quite recently, governments around the world on the platform of the Open Government Partnership decided to put fiscal transparency and accountability at the very forefront of their governance practices. And Nigeria signed up to that understanding. And today, has an open government partnership secretariat within the country that is that is geared towards mainstreaming open government, which is fiscal transparency, i.e. the transparency in budgeting, the transparency in revenue, the transparency in expenditure, transparency in what is projected to be earned and what is projected to be spent as a means to improve the quality of government. Uh, I will also add a definition from Stanich that I think is very apt for, for fiscal transparency. And he says that fiscal transparency implies an openness toward the public at large about government structure and functions, fiscal policy intentions, public sector accounts, and projections. It involves ready access to reliable, comprehensive, timely, understandable, and internationally comparable information on government activities, whether undertaken inside or outside the government sector. This is so that the electorate and financial markets can accurately assess the government's financial position and the true costs and benefits of government activities, including their present and future economic and social implications. 
All right. Uh, thank you so much, Viola. So um, this openness or uh, transparency, or let's just put it as it is, publishing of information. Now, how does it benefit citizens and the wider community? You know, speaking about the international partners here and the private sector. So what would you say are the consequences of publicity in this regard? So let's have Akin on this one. Uh, yeah, so uh, with, a, with a more open uh, government and more open reporting from state-owned enterprises, uh, there is more accountability, of course, because people know how much the organization or the SOEs are making and how they are spending it. And mm -hmm. there's also more uh, reason for those uh, organizations or those entities not to be used as a form of uh, uh, as a form of corrupt conduits throughout the economy. So a, a great example of that would be NNPC, for example, yeah. which is like the symbol of corruption in Nigeria, where we know that there are a lot of monies that slush through it during the election periods and all of that. Then another example uh, could also be the Saudi Aramco, which okay. uh, the Saudi royal family is so it's it's quite notorious as being uh, a place where it, it has a lot of shady accounting and the royal family uses it as a fiefdom to benefit certain people in in, in the in the um kingdom of saudi arabia and all of that and of course it's not run as efficiently as it should be be run uh, yeah so i'll say that uh, that's or these are some of the benefits of opening up and reporting publicly the information uh, about the operations of state-owned enterprises. Okay, thank you. So um, let's talk about accountability now. How does the accountability of officials involved in SOE budgeting uh, benefit citizens and the wider community as well? When you, when you want to relate it to uh, the consequences of lack of accountability. So okay, yeah. let's have your opinion. Yes, yes, thank you. Let me let me let me just jump in. Uh, Akin mentioned something that I would refer to a little later. Uh, he mentioned something about efficiency. I will start by saying that uh, while transparency is the watchword, transparency for accounting, transparency in procurement, transparency in contracting, mm -hmm. it does not always lead to situations of accountability. Yes, they are two sides of the same coin but you might be transparent in how you put out information. But when it is discovered that Vahela Kwaga has carried out a shady deal with Mr. Akinyemi Ogunsanya, mm -hmm. and Vahela Kwaga is not called to account, there are allegations raised, but Vahela Kwaga is not made to, not made to answer before any panel. Vahela Kwaga is basically given a slap on the wrist and still given money again that is when accountability does not happen. Despite the fact that citizens were informed that Vahela Kwaga was involved in some financial impropriety, that he was involved in some shady dealing. Yeah. The information was there, it was made public, i.e. it was done transparently, but yeah. there was no accountability. So this opens up the discussion to how the lack of accountability, despite the existence of transparency, does not create good government. And let me give an example. So the Niger Delta Development Corporation is a state-owned 
enterprise. It's owned by the government, but it's managed on behalf of the citizens of the Niger Delta region. There have been several allegations, you know, from the COVID-19 malfeasance involving basically distribution of monies to everyone in the NDDC, from the MD to the drivers, mm -hmm. to, the, to the current lack of repatriation of funds by the NDDC to uh, the, the federal government. There's a, there's a percentage, I, I beg your pardon, there's a percentage that should be made public that is being collected by the NDDC from oil companies. And that is not being, I mean, the, the, the allegations were raised that this money is not being repatriated, but till we speak, there has been no, there has been no um, prosecution. There has been no arrest. No mm. one has been made to answer any answer question. Answer for this, yes. Yes, and this is an example of a lack of accountability. So you see that we knew or we know that there is a percentage that the that the NDDC is meant to make public. There's a percentage that they can collect. But as for the accountability of them being answerable on how they spent it, no one has been arrested, no one has been prosecuted. So mm -hmm. I will say that uh, a, a lack of accountability in budgeting, for example, will mean that when budgets are put out, there is no one we can hold, you know, responsible for improper calculations, for poor accounting, for uh, a, a misallocation of funds mm -hmm. to aspects of the business that may seem frivolous, there will be no one we can hold accountable for duplication of items in a budget. There is no one we can hold accountable for an improper formulation of budget of that of the budget of that state-owned enterprises and of that state-owned enterprise. And when these officials, you know, see that they they have it's like a free for all in terms of their budgeting, it will mean that the MDs and the leadership of other state-owned enterprises will simply do the same thing because there is no consequence for this, in quotes, bad behavior. And when the international community and you know the private sector sees that the government is extremely lax in prosecution, in investigation, it will see that the, or it will create a business environment that is one, very uncertain, that is two, very arbitrary. And mm -hmm. this is even a very serious point because as it is, state-owned enterprises already enjoy a, a heightened access to credit. They already enjoy uh, patronage, access yeah. to you know, political favors. Mm -hmm. They already enjoy several waivers that the private sector simply does not have. Yeah, this creates an environment that is non-competitive and competition is the heart of business activity. It's the heart of, uh, of, a, of a good economy. And when this doesn't happen, it has very, very serious spillover effects that would discourage the private sector from really investing. I think you can, you can jump in now, thanks. So I think we should also look at it from an institutional uh, perspective. These uh, organizations don't live in isolation. They, 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 they stay in uh, polities where uh, either the rule of law is, 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 is uh, up, upheld or a situation where it is the rule of whoever is in power. So, uh, yes, I would agree that simply opening up your books to the public. For example, you could use the situation of the NNPC where they opened up, where they started publishing uh, the annual reports when uh, Muhammad Ubari came in. But we also live in a polit uh, the Nigerian polity is one in which 
there isn't a lot of accountability. Generally speaking, the institutions are weak. Uh, uh, and there isn't a lot of political will too to ensure that even some of the most critical uh, state-owned enterprises are made to work efficiently and properly. So I think it's both an institutional thing and there's also the angle of, the, of, of, of political will because you can also even be in a weak uh, institutional setting mm-hmm. but then uh, the government wants uh, uh, maybe a certain, a certain health uh, agency yeah. Uh, to to deliver and to work very well, and then there is a lot of political capital spent to ensure that that organization delivers on its objectives. So I think those two things work uh, hand in glove. They work hand in hand in that sense. Thank you so much, Aki. Uh, now let's have a look at how citizens can be involved in promoting fiscal transparencies in these state-owned enterprises and what can they do with this information if uh, it gets to them or when it gets to them? Yes, thank you so much for that question, Nancy. The, The issue really is how can citizens be made more involved in something that, you know, to some of them might seem difficult. Strange. Might seem technical. Or new, yeah. Exactly. You're dealing with budgets, you're dealing with accounting, you're dealing with financial information, you know, you're dealing with fiscal projections, you're dealing with expenditure frameworks, you know, Uh you're dealing with fiscal responsibility. And it may be very daunting because the the average citizen may simply not have that uh, level of attention when they're worrying about managing their lives. Uh, I think this is a, a, a place where civil society organizations where citizens representative groups can really step in to to hold the 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 soes accountable in the form of engaging with them you know in real time now this could be setting up uh, stakeholder engagement sessions this could be through writing letters this could be through interviews of these you know the the leadership of these state-owned enterprises to let them see that we are all watching we are all expectant we are all interested in, yeah. you know, in how these things are managed because we realize that the the nature of interest state-owned enterprises have in the economy of a country is extremely important. Mm-hmm. If you look at the state-owned enterprises in Nigeria, for example, you will see that they cut across a, a, a wide range of core sectors, primary, secondary sectors, from mm-hmm. energy to natural resources, to telecommunications, to banking, to agriculture, to infrastructure, the rail lines. So citizens need to know that, yes, they may be, they may not have that attention span, so to speak, to really be involved. But engaging with these people through through the media, through uh, social media, especially through, you know, existing platforms that they can use as representatives of their interest can be one way that they can start. You do not expect you know, a, a random citizen to write a letter to the MD of a of of, of, of an SOE. But the 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 network power that CSOs and other non-governmental organizations have in you know calling these people to account, their convening power, so to speak, they can act as these uh, represent representatives. Also, and this may be a little far-fetched, but perhaps Nigerians can begin to look into 
the, the work of the legislature. The legislature performs constitutionally empowered oversight functions. Now, the legislature is, the legislature is empowered to oversee you know, the activities of government through their elected representatives, citizens can call SOEs to account. Citizens can demand for greater transparency, yeah. but it would involve them going through a legislature that may not be very interested, one, or may be politically captured, two, to even be interested in finding out whether an SOE is adhering to international best practices on fiscal transparency. But I think there is, uh, the, 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 they say that um, there's no time like the present. And the sooner citizens get to understand the weight of state-owned enterprises in the economic growth and development of their country, the sooner I think they will come up with interesting ways to really um, hold them to account and to uh, ensure that they are more transparent. So I'm looking at uh, some real life examples now of transparency and accountability in SOEs in Nigeria. Um, Aki, would you say we have any? In Nigeria currently, I think there's really few and far between. But <laughs> I would I would give kudos to uh, the current administration of Muhammad Iwari for uh-huh. at least getting the ball rolling about uh, the NMPC publishing annual reports. Yeah. But now the problem, now the issue with this is that is has it been institution has it been codified by law and what and what uh, regulatory agencies are there to ensure that post is so post the Buari administration, mm-hmm. the NMPC continues down this path and even uh, divulges even more information about how it works, how its uh, its employment practices work. At least we know that the NMPC can be quite uh, opaque about its hiring practices and all of that. So yeah. in setting, so, uh, setting the ball in motion with regards to that, I think uh, that would also be a good thing. Uh, currently, Mohamed Ibarri administration has started that process and uh, I'd say that, that was a very good one on their part because right. at least people could uh, see what the uh, corporation was doing and uh, the deeds uh, and the deeds that were going on within. So it's very, very difficult for me to think of any other uh, SOE. Okay, maybe if you call the DMO, that's the debt management office. office yes. So if you call it a, a state-owned enterprise, I don't know if you call it that. I'd say they, the reforms done during the Obasanjo administration to ensure that the PMO uh, became much more credible uh, um, and communicated with the public even much more. I think that was also a very good step uh, forward for, for the Nigerian uh, government and in terms of ensuring more accountability and more interaction with state-owned enterprises. Thank you so much, Aki. Bayala, I don't know if you have some real-life examples you'd like to cite. I think there is a lot that can be done. I think so far, apart from the NNPC, I would say the NLNG in their own reporting, and I guess you can't even really call it an annual report because they didn't even call it uh, an an annual report. They called it facts and figures, you know. But if you look at what... um, NAITI, that's the Nigerian Extractives Transparency Initiative, has done 
in the extractive sector to really serve as a platform to encourage and mainstream uh, open government practices and, and principles. You could argue that uh, the NLNG has been doing pretty well in terms of putting out uh, its information in the public. Though I think its most recent report is 2019, and we all know the politics surrounding uh, the extractive sector. But I think uh, by and large, the NLNG does put out information on, you know, uh, the, the requisite uh, information that an, an annual report should contain in this uh, facts and figures 2019. However, what is missing definitely is going to be the budgeting, which is the key issue. What is missing are those fiscal projections. What is missing are the assets and liabilities and how those are managed, you know, on behalf of the public. If, yeah. if I were to just take a bit of time to read out some of the the principles of fiscal transparency, you would see that, you know, you cannot find this in the average SOE in Nigeria. So for example, one of them on fiscal reporting is that fiscal reports should provide a comprehensive, relevant, timely, and reliable overview of the government's financial position and performance. So if you look at those three metrics, uh, reliable, comprehensive, timely, how many times do we get fiscal reports from state-owned enterprises like the NNPC, like the NLNG, like DICON, the Defense Industries um, Corporation in Kaduna that's meant to manufacture weapons. You know, how often do you get uh, reliable information from firms like the Nigerian Railway Corporation? You know, how often do you get reliable, timely, and accurate information from the Bank of Agriculture, from Galaxy Backbone, from Nigeria Bulk Electricity Trading PLC, from Nigerian Deposit Insurance Corporation, and so on and so forth. How, 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 how often do you see information that is usable, that is timely, that is accurate, that shows the government's position? Look at, look, taking a look at fiscal forecasting, for example, and budgeting. Another principle is that budgets and their underlying fiscal forecasts should provide a clear statement of the government's budgetary objectives and policy intentions and comprehensive, timely, and credible projections of the evolution of the public's finances. So where can you find, you know, documents put out in the public by state-owned enterprises that have these characteristics? The answer is next to zero. So the issue really, just like Akin mentioned earlier, you know, quite insightfully, that there is a lack of political will. Oftentimes these principles are there. The Fiscal Responsibility Commission, the Fiscal Responsibility Act does spell out in very clear terms the expectations of the federal government for state-owned enterprises. But the people upon whose desks the buck should stop are simply unable to put their feet down and insist that these state-owned enterprises are governed according to uh, public sector, public corporation principles. And that's really where a lot of the problems stem from. All right, so regarding the problems now, in what way can the government then improve the fiscal transparency of SOEs in Nigeria? I think so personally, I'd say one of the ways they could do so is uh, uh, passing a very strong and uh, robust uh, whistleblower policy. I think that would that would likely give an incentive to uh, people within the organization, within the SOEs, blowing the whistle on illegal and uh, 
downright fraudulent behavior uh, being perpetrated in these uh, organizations. Then I would also say that uh, enforcement, enforcement of the laws already on the book. Okay. Enforcement uh, and ensuring that these reports aren't just uh, a lot of words uh, without a lot of substance. They should, they should be chock full with substance and also uh, basically giving them breakdowns of uh, the liabilities, the assets, the off-balance sheets, uh, liabilities that yeah. these uh, organizations are taking on, the risks going forward and all other things that uh, will be of material interest to the ultimate shareholder of these organizations, which are or who are the, share, the, the taxpayers. So I'd say those are the things that the government could could do just starting like say today or tomorrow to improve oh. the situation of uh, reporting and accountability in state-owned enterprises. All right. So Viola. I think I totally agree. I, I think that that was a blower policy, you know, transforming it into legislation would really create better conditions for people to stand up and actually report because the the idea surrounding a whistleblower policy or the idea that whistleblowers can add value to justice and to security is that the law or the state cannot be everywhere at the same time. So it needs to leverage on the interests of people, whether they be uh, positively uh, inclined or motivated or negatively motivated to provide relevant information on whether fraudulent activities or malfeasance is occurring inside uh, companies, inside offices, ETC. So I totally agree with that point. And I think it's high time that the whistleblower policy be transformed into legislation. However, I am skeptical as to the effect, because as we all know, or as, as is said colloquially, what Nigeria lacks is not laws, but their enforcement. So I, I like the point that Akin uh, made as well regarding enforcement. And this boils down to the politics of Nigeria. This boils down to the existing notions, the norms, the values, the ideas that support uh, concepts like accountability. Uh, sometimes you'd hear Nigerians say there is no such thing as accountability in Nigeria. I mean, this, this is true in some sense, because when uh, Nigerians hear of illegalities being done, arrests are hardly made when they involve high profile persons and you know this lends itself towards a very poor perception of the governance of the country and where uh, political office holders where civil servants are, are are caught you know with their hands inside i don't know nigerians eat cookies yes hands inside the cookie jar and nothing <laughs> is done their yeah. wrists are not even slapped you know not to talk of them being you know prosecuted prosecuted and charged this creates, you know, an environment where impunity reigns and it requires enormous amounts of political will, you know, to, to put an end or at least reduce these things to a, a, a minimal point where they have next to zero effect on the operation of the economy. So I think I'm just going to re-echo uh, Akin's well put out points about um, turning some of these policies into legislation and the need for political will. I think politicians and you know, the civil servants need to see that there is a gain for them when they ensure that the buck stops at their table. Their, their, their regime will earn political legitimacy 
And you know, this seems like an intangible thing, but it can it can rear itself in very tangible, you know, real life uh, impacts when there is a, a greater sense of nationhood, there's a greater sense of justice, there's a greater sense of commitment to the, the values of Nigeria, simply because, you know, the political office holders and those responsible are seen to be doing the right thing. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of individual and ministerial posterity that can come along with them actually being transparent and being accountable. And this, uh, this really improves the quality of governance, which is one of the soft uh, infrastructures that any nation needs to, to survive. The rule of law that Akin alluded to earlier is an example of soft infrastructure. It's intangible, but it, you know, it depicts itself in very tangible ways in the form of uh, uh, an an improved uh, business environment. Okay, uh, following from what Viola has said about the increased sense of nationhood, we know that currently Nigeria has a very, like there are a lot of uh, secessionist movements and groups and everything. And if you boil, if you uh, dig deep into what is driving a lot of these secessionist movements and sentiment and everything, it's a feeling of injustice. So when people feel that, say, uh, uh, the NDDC, which was created to uh, to alleviate the sufferings of people in the Niger Delta, uh, and they hear of things about uh, the corruption in, in the board of directors and, and uh, the drivers and everything. You, so if people believe that mm -hmm. these people are going to be brought to book, Someone in someone in Lokoja will not see the NDDC as a vehicle to just uh, uh, enrich uh, political elites from the South South, for example. Yeah. And so people will be much more willing to to support the NDDC to actually uh, and also lead to a form of legitimacy of the NDDC as an organization for a situation where. There isn't a lot of um, uh, accountability, or there isn't even accountability at all for these people. It starts like people start going into the ethnic corners or into the tribal corners, and that itself doesn't help uh, nationhood. All right. So before I let you people go, let's talk about the value of SOEs in Nigeria. You know, in terms of assets, <laughs> I don't know. It's very tricky. I don't know. Do we have? let alone measuring so viola thank you thank you nancy I, I i was also kind of chuckling when i heard that question because you know it is probably next to impossible to answer it with any sense of accuracy this is why i say so uh, for you to know the value of state-owned enterprises and their assets in a country you'd have to have a reliable register of assets right. and like i had mentioned earlier there are state-owned enterprises in nearly every major sector well i guess except this the, the tertiary sector but the primary and secondary you know extractives agriculture um, and processing the government is involved so when you do not have an asset register how will you know for example what is owned by Galaxy Backbone, which yes. works in telecommunications. How you know what is owned by the Nigerian Bulk Electricity Trading PLC or the Nigerian Electricity Liability Management Limited 
how you know the, the assets owned by the Nigerian Mining Corporation, which is an existing company that has not had its, its uh, enabling law repealed. But in all my searches online, I have not seen any documents relating to the Nigerian Mining Corporation, which I found very, very suspect. So, you know, companies like the Transmission Company of Nigeria, yeah. the Nigerian Railway Corporation, these are big players in energy. These are big players in infrastructure. But when we do not know how much they own, and this leads to them not having an asset registry, mm. there is no way we can even say with, with any form of assurance how much, you know, the, the SOEs are worth and perhaps even how much they are contributing to the economy. This is even away from issues of budgeting. This is away from issues of their current uh, liabilities or current assets, but their existing historical assets, as a matter of fact, are unknown. So I think this is a very, very, uh, very, very uh, serious issue that civil society and the government needs to take seriously going forward to okay. ensure that Nigeria is, is, is made a much better destination for investment for international and even domestic uh, uh, domestic finance. All right, thank you. So, Aki, let's have your take on it. So, just according to what uh, Bayala said, I think it's very difficult to know uh, how many the, the assets they own, mm -hmm. the assets, the, the liability they, they have, the, nets, the network as organizations, yeah. or as entities it's very difficult because one so i so even during this conversation i'm just beginning to know some of these uh uh state-owned enterprises especially the nigerian mining corporation I've, I've never heard of them before i've heard of uh, bulk electricity trading and uh, the yeah. transmission Co corporation of nigeria but i'm i'm not so i've been to the website of the tcn and i never seen any major report about uh uh what they own and what their their network is so yes. even an annual report i don't think i've seen it so i think it's very difficult to know the assets that they own for some of them maybe the nmpc i keep on using the nmpc because it's like the, yes. the crown jewel yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of of the nigerian state i think the nmpc you could say maybe you can you can estimate how much it makes in terms of revenue but it's it's very very it's very very difficult to know how much profit it makes very very difficult to know uh even the revenues itself like who exactly um are the monies going to it's very very complicated and very very opaque unfortunately i don't have a very good answer for you I was not expecting uh, a straight answer because I know. Don't think any of us have, have, yeah, <laughs> none of us really have a serious answer. For that, yeah. So, um, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation today. Um, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, we had Viola Kwaga, the Senior Research and Policy Analyst at Budget, and Akinyemi Ogunsoya, a Research Analyst at a social research consultancy based in Lagos. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Akin. It was great yeah. uh, discussing with you. Look forward to doing this again. Yeah. Thank you, right. Nancy. Thank you, Viola. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Yes. <laughs> it's our yes. pleasure. Thank you. While the conversation continues, you can follow us on our social media platform. On Facebook, it's at BudgetNG. On Instagram, it's BudgetNG. And on Twitter, it's also BudgetNG. My name is Nancy. I hope to have you join us again.